Our reading today is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through to chapter 3, verse 4. Since you died with Christ in the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since, then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl? The girl that has everything. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. You want thingamabobs? I've got 20, but who cares? No big deal. I want more. I want to be where the people... No, I'm, I'm not going to do, do the whole thing. You, like me, have wants have longings, have needs and dreams, and that is what makes you human or part mermaid. Uh, and you are here today because you want something. You arrived here, you left your house because you want something. Some of you want to connect uh, with friends uh, and catch up. Some of you want to sing together in the presence of God's people and worship. And some of you want to say a little prayer for England, Fiji later. Um, you know, we all want things because we have desire. You desire uh, to, you, because of your desire, you buy things. You go on holiday because you desire. You want a purposeful life because you are filled with desire and you want to fall in love or you want to develop deep friendships because of your desire. And you know, um, uh, we were created that way. We were created to have desire. As St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. This sense of uh, we were made for something, something greater and beyond ourselves. We were given these desires by God and they will find rest when they find themselves in you. And so some of our wants and our longings are good. Some of the things that we desire in life are good and noble and worthy. They uh, lead us to life and peace and freedom. They are God's good desiring in us as we reflect him. And however, because you know, as well as I do, because you are human or potentially mermaid, there are other desires. There are desires in us that, that are broken there are desires that are flawed. There are desires that lead to fear or compulsion or even full-on addiction and into a kind of death. 
Uh, the New Testament uh, refers to these two categories of desire as the spirit, so those uh, of the spirit are the desires that lead to life and freedom, or the flesh, things and desires that lead to fear and death. Which is why Paul starts with this fairly punchy question at the top of our reading today. It's a punchy question, but it's an important question for each one of us. He says this, why are you living according to the rules and the regulations of the flesh when you have already been freed to live by the Spirit? He's trying to awaken us to the reality of the waters that we are swimming in, meaning the surrounding culture, the world at large that prevails around us by saying not everything in this world will lead you to love, to joy, and to peace. And this is why uh, we're launching a new series today looking at this whole area of desire. I want to speak into this massive area of our apprenticeship to Jesus, our following of him as we try and shape our lives around his presence, becoming more like him and doing the things that he did. Because all of that, all of your following of Jesus is not done in a vacuum. You are trying to work out your apprenticeship to Jesus in 21st century Western society that is filled with all kinds of things. Paul um, describes a prevailing culture as this, the elemental spiritual forces, which kind of sounds a bit Star Wars-esque. But what he's wanting his listeners to become aware of is there are dangers if you sleepwalk. There are dangers if you're not intentional. There are dangers if you don't become aware uh, that you will be swept into some of the cultural currents without even noticing it. Um, And it's important for us to say uh, right at the top here is when we start to talk about uh, culture uh, and the world around us, uh, what I'm not saying is everything is bad. It's kind of like, we're here, we're just sort of these holy little huddles kind of trying to get it together and everything out there is bad. It's not uh, at all. There are so many good things. There are so many uh, reflections and kind of moments of goodness and beauty and joy uh, in culture and and the the way that uh, the world has developed. And nor am I saying um, that Christianity is anti-pleasure. I'm not saying that we have to come and sort of like have like a pity party of like, oh my gosh, I had some fun this week. I feel so bad. I'm sorry, Lord. I love this from Tish Harrison Warren, great writer. I really want to recommend her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, that this is from. She says this, it was the church, not Starbucks, that created coffee culture. Amen. Coffee was first invented by Ethiopian monks. Uh, The term cappuccino refers to the shade of brown used for the habits of the Capuchin monks in Italy. Coffee is born of extravagance, an extravagant God who formed an extravagant people, um, uh, who formed a craft out of the pleasures of roasting beans and throffing milk. Can I get an amen? This is actually water. 
You know, God designed us to enjoy good and beautiful and sometimes even extravagant things in his creation that, that image and reflect his love and goodness. Yet at the same time, the world is full of brokenness. Paul warns us against, um, he picks up on four cultural trends that I think we still see prevalent today, and they are this. He says, their self-imposed worship. I think today we see that primarily in individualism, which is, which is the root, I'd say, the root of all sin, as Martin Luther describes it, is a, a life turned in on itself, the worship of self attempting to assume ultimate control over our lives. And then he says false humility. I think today we see that particularly in kind of social and political polarization. Like we, we appear and almost kind of and present ourselves as loving and kind until we are offended and then we become vicious and cold. And we, we kind of cancel and we strike out. Then there's the harsh treatment of the body. You know, today, problems with excessive drinking or or drug abuse or casual or non-committal sex. It's harsh treatment uh, of the bodies that we have been blessed with. Or the lack of restraint in indulgence. I'd say today, consumerism. Like if it makes you happy, if you want it, then you deserve to have it. And then I'd add one more into this cheery list. Uh, like if you add in like the cultural current that we have of the digital age, like being constantly on, being constantly digitally distracted in a comparison-driven, restless age that we live in, the result is that there is tension. There is tension between the spirit and the flesh. There is this tension uh, between who we were created to be, the original design and purpose over our lives, and the reality of a fallen and broken world. And the result of that tension is this, that your formation into a person of love is contested. Your formation is contested simple uh, description of what I mean by that is um, formation is how we are being shaped and formed into and towards the image of Jesus that we that you were created for and there is a tension that sometimes deformation happens which would be the opposite how we are being shaped and formed out of and away from the image of Jesus that we were created for so who you are becoming who you are growing into as you seek and follow the way of Jesus is not done in a completely neutral space. There is is a battle within you and around you for your attention, for your worship, for your love and your affection. As uh, John Tyson puts it like this, you will not become the person of God, the person God wants you to be by accident. You don't develop your redemptive potential passively. You don't live in a neutral world. You live in a heavily contested space. You are being formed by something into someone. And that's not just out there. That's not just a critique of culture. That's something that's in here too and in here 
to, between what you know to be good, what you know to be worthy of your attention, and to, between that and what you know not to be good, that doesn't lead to life in you and in the world around you. And so Paul, uh, elsewhere in his writing, with the simplicity of sage-like wisdom, sums up, I think, our felt human condition in this tension uh, in Romans 7, where he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So let me ask you, do you, do you feel like worn out from the hustle of life? Do you feel torn between what you long for and the reality of your life and what you do? Does your search history tell a different story to the one that you present to the world around you? Do you struggle under the crushing weight of big feelings like jealousy, comparison, envy, judgment, shame, and without the right emotional mechanisms or tools to process them? Do you find yourself living just beneath the surface and get easily offended or frustrated or angry at the flick of a switch? Well, if you do, you are in the company of every human who has ever existed. And I have some good news for us today. That there is a way to navigate that tension between the spirit and the flesh between our original creation and the brokenness of the world, to manage our tension between our deepest desires for love and affection and comfort and joy and forgiveness and freedom when they are placed in Jesus. You see, there is hope in the way and the truth and the life of Jesus in reordering our desires around his good and perfect and pleasing plan for us that leads us towards peace, that leads us towards love and joy as we become people of love. And that is why we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at this topic of desire that we all have, how do we order that desire around the goodness of God, around the way of Jesus? St. Augustine, um, same guy from before, uh, said there are four things in life that kind of look like God, but most often come what he describes as counterfeit gods or what the Bible describes as idols. Uh, he said that they were this. There are four common things that people wrestle with. That's power, status, pleasure, and money. Bearing in mind he wrote that in 400 AD, I still think they're relevant today. You know, these things, power, status, and the rest, these things in and of themselves are not bad. They're not evil things. But when they become the main goal of your attention and affection, they will become counterfeit idols. Which is why one of the best bits of advice that you can be given is this. Never love anything that cannot love you back. Never love anything that cannot love you back for power, for status, money, pleasure. None of those things can ever love you back. They will always want and demand more from you, more of you, more of what you have and possess. 
but they will never actually produce life and lead you into the way of love. And so as Christians into our uh, true identity of, as children of God made in his image, the task becomes reordering our desires around his life-giving good love that he has and produces in us. And so for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to look at those four areas uh, and we're going to consider this, uh, how we kind of manage and navigate this tension that we live in uh, by speaking about humility over power, that the elevation of others and becoming a force for good in the world, servanthood over status, to know your identity and worth as a beloved child of God and to serve at the pleasure of the king, self-denial over pleasure, to orient your longings, your priorities around the presence of God rather than your urges and felt needs and generosity over greed, living into the truth that you are more blessed when you give than when you receive. Who's excited? Come, get on. Um, uh, for that, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're going to spend lots of time praying as well. Um, but carrying on in our passage today, um, Paul, at the end of chapter two, finishes with this critique of, of the culture, an awareness of, hey guys, why do you live according to these rules? You have been set free, free from this world and you can now live by the Spirit. But he doesn't just, just tell them to do that. He continues as we turn the page and start this new chapter and he brings us a fix. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And so as we start, and as we consider how uh, we follow the way of Jesus in a confusing and sometimes contested place, where we have to start is this, is to set the gaze of our hearts upon the beauty of Jesus, to behold the beauty of Jesus. We um, uh, spent some time in the Canadian Rockies over the summer visiting uh, Hannah's family. And um, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere that is just like the landscape is so vast and so beautiful. It's like the sky looks like 25% bigger. It's like when kind of God was kind of doing his creation thing, he gave like the Canadian Rockies like a wide angle lens feel. Um, and you're like, just, it just feels bigger here. The sky, the mountains, the rivers. Um, one day we heard that there was um, potentially going to be a meteor shower that night. And um, we had actually almost forgotten and uh, we were just about to head, uh, Hannah and I head to bed. And um, then we remembered, oh yeah, there was that thing on the news. And so we sat outside and we set ourselves up and kind of looked up at the sky, which in and of itself is just an amazing thing to do, uh, particularly when you're in a place of such natural beauty with minimal light pollution and it was incredible we saw some shooting stars and um, uh, it was great but um, hadn't seen anything like come on come on God 
Go on, give us a big one. Um, uh, and so we were just about to go uh, to bed. And then one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. We saw this uh, meteor come into the Earth's atmosphere. It was like this slow-moving, kind of really bright, burning ball of light. It looked to me like someone was like tearing, uh, uh, tearing a stretch in the canvas of the sky with a blazing hot torch, kind of ripping through, and it was a blaze, and it literally was up there for like four seconds. It was amazing. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And all we could like collectively do as we were looking up there, we were like, wow. We were struck with awe and with wonder and, and this sense of otherness and uncontainable. It was completely beautiful. And Paul makes this same invitation to you into wonder into awe, into pondering the otherness of God, to look up and behold the beauty of Jesus. He says this, set your hearts and minds on things above. Set your hearts and minds on Jesus. In the midst of the current cultural forces and the moments of tension and inner turmoil where you're lost in distraction, riddled with temptation or stuck in addiction, look up and behold the beauty of Jesus for he is more magnificent than the best thing that you have ever seen. He is more extravagant than your biggest dreams. Behold the beauty of his grace that forgives and redeems you. Behold the, the beauty of his peace that heals and restores you and behold the beauty of his power that transforms and renews you inside and out. Behold Jesus for he is beautiful. You see, in the reordering of our love, we have to start in worship. There is no good me saying like, we've just got to get better at being good people Willpower is not going to last. Even habits and practices in and of themselves, uh, they're not the means to the, they're, they're a means to the end. They are not an end in and of themselves. We have to start in worship. For in worship is the only place where our restless hearts find rest in him, the one for whom you were created. In worship, the reprioritizing of our life says, make your wants, God, my wants. Make your desires my desires. Make what is ugly to you ugly to me. Make what is beautiful to you beautiful to me. You see, when we get the priority of worship right, everything else becomes simply our response. Our love becomes ordered around God's perfect love and our, and our desires start to uh, be God's desiring through us. And so therefore our habits and our practices and the way that we follow Jesus is a response to a generous and good God who is forming his image in us. 
And so this reprioritizing of worship and this beholding of Jesus, this is not a one-time quick fix. Yes, there will be challenges, which is why Paul goes on to say that you will need grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And in verse three, he says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's trying to kind of get us to, to see that as we behold the beauty of Jesus, we realize our position in him, that in the, in the death of our sin and the destruction of our brokenness, our life is now hidden in his life. His goodness, his grace, his peace. See, in worship, we are, we are spoken over with the gracious voice of a loving father saying, my grace is sufficient for you. You are my beloved, you are forgiven, you are free. Now your life is hidden and caught up in me. Behold Jesus in every moment of every day. That's not an invitation uh, to a Sunday sing song. This is a life of worship, beholding, revisiting, reminding ourselves. And that will take time. The way of Jesus isn't always the easiest, nor the most stylish or the most comfortable for when you go against the grain, you tend to get splinters. But the only way to love the joy and peace and freedom is in him. I think of uh, the people in my life, the one who I just describe as like the most beautiful faith that I know. They're not like necessarily the loudest and not necessarily the most uh, impressive by worldly standards. But they're the ones who have rugged edges and scars from a painful journey, but where beauty has the final word. Their faith is resilient. It's been formed in the fires of this life, but they have held on and said, but Jesus, you reign above it all. I set my heart and I set my mind on you. And so uh, as we start over these next four weeks, that's where we want to launch from. As we uh, consider here at St. Mary's how we follow the way of Jesus together in community, seeking to become people of love for the world around us, we want to start with beholding saying, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. From you are all things. To you are all things. Would you have the glory? And so my prayer for us is this, that you would each day behold the beauty of Jesus in prayer, in scripture, in community, and abide in his gracious love for you. I want to encourage you, if that's new for you, or if that's something that you kind of feel like, Oof, haven't done that for a while. Start small, start where you are at. Find, as Emily said, a place for you to belong uh, in community, in a table or otherwise. But whatever you do, get yourself in a place, into a position that encourages you to look up, to set your mind on Jesus. And then as we behold the beauty of Jesus, from that place, we take on his beauty as you start to reflect his image in your heart and your mind and your soul, and then the excitement comes, we get to share his beauty. 
becoming agents of his beautiful renewal, calling people home, advocating for justice, celebrating the goodness of God in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our friendships. The invitation of your life is to come, behold, take on, and share the beauty of this wonderful Jesus. And we can do so having confidence uh, because of truth like this. God has started a work of transformation in us that he promises to complete. This is grace, this is grace, this is grace formed in you as a person of love for the sake of the world. And for that, we need the power of his spirit. Amen.